The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. It's a day. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. Stryker Meyer is a drag performer of unique powers and enormous skill. His work has enamoured audiences around the world. His ability to conjure a crowd is harnessed with immense theatricality, drawn from the combination of idiosyncratic invention in performance and the grease paints that contribute to the creation of an arresting and hypnotic aesthetic. Migrating to Australia as a boy from the UK, his family found residence in the goldfields town of Cambolda in Western Australia. The contrast of geography and climate built a resilience in the young striker and forced avenues to escape in his imagination and by train. Striker the man is a modest gentleman who possesses years of experience and knowledge whilst retaining a passion for his art and craft. He is a treasured and gifted artist who has been an avant-garde presence on the queer scene for several decades. What a treat that he shares all of that in this riveting episode of The Stages Podcast. Right. We'll begin where we begin. The begin? The begin, begin at the beginning. Yes, absolutely. That's a great old number. It is. Beautiful. Have you ever performed to that? No, no, but I would. You would? I, oh, yeah. Well, it's so classic. I, I've got a friend who does... Uh, not too much of a friend anymore. <laughs> an acquaintance. An acquaintance who did um, really, really good ballroom dancing. And I'd seen him do it. It was beautiful because he was a great dancer as well. What was your favourite genre when you performed? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. There's some things that I really need. To, due to my idols before I'd started this, I, I like to keep a piece like Teresa Green was I was madly madly wrapped in this person that I'd heard of called Teresa Green. For like six years I was mesmerized. I hadn't even seen a photograph. Just these stories of these this amazing person who did very little but very powerful and I found that amazing. So I actually need to have some of that. <laughs> Um, there's other people that I knew that had amazing lip sync, like incredible. I had to have that in in my thing. The, so regardless of the genre, some of the genres of music don't have that power. Some of it's too pop. So I'd probably go to something blues or something sadder definitely slower um, it has to in fact the less in it the better um, I have to be able to put as much of my soul into it as possible that kept I 
didn't realise at first, because uh, I didn't used to get applauses at all, that there'd just be silence at the end of one of my numbers. And so I thought for years that people hated it, but they didn't know how to react really. That's how it, what it boiled down to. They didn't know if they should clap, because I was doing some really sad things. Um, but I had this idea that just because you're in a nightclub doesn't mean you can't think. So um, people called me Debbie Downer for a long time, <laughs> which I fucking hated. Because um, a lot of your performance was considered, uh, people have, have wrongly referred to it as dark. They, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Or spooky. Yeah. Like, that's Walt Disney, and that can, that that's goes the in evil the, queen. that goes in the <laughs> cornography file. Yeah. It's, corny does not exist with what I do at all. That is the cheapest thing anyone, it's like nobody's thinking anymore. Halloween's gotten to them, so they'll run to the $2 shop and cover themselves in $2 shop shit, and there you go, that's their horror. And yet they wrongly call me horror. The, the worst horror in the world, or the darkest darkness in the world, is domestic. Yeah. Now that is frightening, and that's what I would like to use in my, in my pieces. Like, I'll frighten you, but not with, not with the $2 shop attitude. So looking for pieces which have a degree of drama where, that you can act. Acting, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a frustrated singer. I'm a frustrated actor, you know. Um, <laughs> definitely. It definitely has to have drama in it. it every, every time I make a costume, it's theatrically charged. I've made sure about that. Um, like a, a kind of spell. Um, and I have to have everybody's attention. I look at everybody's eyes in that audience and I make sure I connect with absolutely every single one of them. Usually, as soon as I walk on, it's just this long glance. <laughs> and then they rarely look away, which is good, because that would put me right off, because I'm actually wanting to talk to every single one of them. So I like the things that are on a tight thread, you know. You've acknowledged the audience, you've established a connection with them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. On a, on a, in a solo way, yes. I mean, my, uh, some later things I've done in the last 10 years with uh, Ash Baroque, uh, we've done all kinds of experiments with that. We're, first off, we don't even include the audience, in, in fact, ever. We never include the audience in our ideas. Um, to, to tailor something to a, an audience, it's kind of begging them to love you. Yeah. It's also going, you're a bunch of idiots. You don't know what we're doing. Uh, Ash and I have this idea. It's not an idea, it's just that we know it because we know our followers. They're not idiots. They're really intelligent people. And even nonsense is still sense. So um, with that in mind, we know they're going to get what we do. So they're not included in, they're not a pot of paint that we paint with at all. Um, also, we've tried things like, and it's worked beautifully, is when we, when we do these, some of these numbers, we actually don't look at the audience. We look right over their heads and we don't make any kind of contact with them whatsoever. We did this at a few fringe festivals when, when I hadn't boycotted them. And uh, the effect is kind of awesome, really. Subtle, but it's the subtle things I like. <laughs> Above my uh, desk at work, I've got pinned a quote, which is, one of the safest places in the world to be the is stage. the stage. Yeah. What's the stage to you? It's safety. Safety, really? Yeah. I, it, I'm nervous about going out. I'm, I'm very nervous about small talk. And I, I find it difficult to actually start a conversation when I'm out. Um, when I was younger, you couldn't get me off the dance floor. And I hated people talking to me on the dance floor too. It's like, fuck off. <laughs> Do that at the bar. I'm dancing. And I yeah. trance right out. But the social bit, the so many people in the room bit, 
and they have got to mention it. There's, there's um, some things from just being gay. Uh, you can be very frightened in public, some public areas with certain, depends on who's there. And uh, I've always had a, a very uh, healthy degree of fear, I think. I think, but stage, I'd like to say nobody gets on stage, but I did have a, a horrible opportunity, opportunity, misfortune, of turning around doing a, I was doing a number that I thought was beautiful. I turn around and there's this fucking break dancer on stage in, in, his, in his Adidas, whatever, and he's doing this thing and it's just like, motherfucker, get off my stage. <laughs> and he, he learned his, a terrible lesson. But I also learned a lesson there too. Don't keep going these people when they're on your stage because your number's gone. Yeah. The show's gone. You've, you allowed him to ruin your show. I was so angry after, afterwards after that dude came out because I kept the thing at him and it was like, wow, it was going to be so beautiful. And you've got your audience. The audience were loving it. Yeah. They were loving it. And then that came. They were loving that too, yeah. you know, go on, punch him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a drag performer, uh, their, uh, their label, their handle, their name is often a, a feminine name. But Strykermeyer, mm-hmm. to me, is very, it's very powerful. It's very masculine in a way. It's a surname, yeah. It's, it's like a Jewish surname. Yeah. Um, that came about because um, I never wanted to do a female look. I wanted to do a male look. My mum once, once said to me, when I said I was interested in doing so, she said, just don't dress up as a woman. <laughs> My mum comes from the thing, from the time when, you know, it was basically only Danny LaRue or some really horrible people. And so my mum did this out of protection she only said it because I had nail polish on. Pearl nail polish. And she burst into tears. And I think that had some effect on it too. But my first number ever was I'm Bored, Iggy Pop. My second number on the same night was Our Friends Electric. So we're talking about 1978 here. Gary Newman. Yeah. yeah. Great tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Audience never seen anything like it. No mm. clapping, no nothing. No pay anyway. There was no pay. Pay didn't come for years. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, when it came to having, <clears throat> excuse me, a name, in the early days I had little, I was trying little things. I always wanted a little kind of Teresa Green-esque kind of nip on the end. And so there was like a, um, a Pandora Spox. There was a Poison Ivy. And these are all me, and they didn't last more than a week, you know, these names. But when it finally came to doing some rehearsals once, I had, there was a song, it was a Broadway song, can't remember what the song's called, but in it, I played a woman who was called Sally Strykermeyer, and I couldn't remember the name in rehearsals. And my guru at the time, my drag guru, Audrey Woodstock Rose from Perth, kept saying, Strykermeyer, it's Strykermeyer, you know, and teaching me at the same time, millions of little tricks, but you know the mistake's coming, you know you're gonna forget the, the word, so you prepare to forget the word. You've just learnt how to never ever remember the word. And he was telling me that kind of thing. Strike my, strike my, strike my. And then sometimes later on we'd all be getting stoned or something and then he'd just go, strike my. <laughs> and, and I liked that. It wasn't a female name. It was, it could be if it wanted to be, but it's a surname. It's, it's not a Brenda or a Betty. I didn't want to be one of those. And it marries perfectly with your look and your performance style. Which I dare say has echoes of, of the Weimar era and, and cabaret Weimar in in Berlin. In Berlin, yeah. a lot of people have said that. A lot of people have said that. I did a number on a uh, on ladies' place, and a lot of people, especially about that number, say that about that. Um, and uh, what a lovely thing! What a thing, lovely thing to be reckon, uh, compared with, you know, like uh, some a place in an era that I never went, but I did love. I mean, I love the cabaret, the movie the Cabaret. Yes, yes. I mean, I love that strange uh, salon kittiness of, of, of the hard times. 
and yet getting away with things during shows, passing messages, um, being um, taking the piss out of their oppressors, basically, as well. It's a dangerous kind of thing. But it's kind of powerful being up there. Like, yeah. it does have that. Is drag about having two faces? I mean, it's obviously the but gentleman you know, I'm talking to now, but when you're a striker, Maya, do uh, you have a different personality? No, I don't. I don't. Um, I know a lot of people do, and a lot of people go, oh, I've just got this new character, and I just think, are you insane? Like, are you insane? It's you. And I'm not knocking anybody, really. But I've, I've always found that really kind of interesting. They're all me. And, um, in fact, now, when I go to the shops every day or whatever, all my life of shows and stuff like that it's coming into reality. It's, it's actually mingling with my reality now. Um, there was never any difference between me and the person with the pointy hat that often scares people. Or, you know, the, the, the old red-haired woman who takes her white gloves off and she's got jet black hands that look like they've been burnt in a fire. Um, they're all me. And, and in fact, um, no matter what I'm doing in the last, say, five years, no matter who it's for, no matter who I'm working with, I've got a little bit of um, auto, it's auto, it's becoming autobiographical. Inside my, there's always some hidden things with my costumes, but it's actually becoming autobiographical now. There's something in every single performance now that actually relates to my life at right now as we speak, if you know, if yep. that makes any sense. Yep, yep. I, I have to get away with lots and lots of things. I can't just, I can't just get up there and go, look at my lip syncing, isn't it? Precise. Yes, it is, they say. And I go, I fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's the least a drag queen can do is have brilliant lip syncing. Being autobiographical, do you think there's a degree of catharsis there? Are you working through things or is always it a therapy? Meditating. Or? I'm always meditating. As yeah. you can see, yeah. and if I will hear a, a word in a... Um, um, I live my life through song lyrics. It's bizarre. But I have to write some things on here as soon as I hear it. They're not all song lyrics. Sometimes they're just out of my own head, which is rare. But it has to go on the wall here, on all these bits of paper. Anytime somebody dies, I've got Elizabeth Burton. Um, I've got Queen Elizabeth as personified, as death personified. That's before she died. Right, yeah. That's before she died. Um, so moving, my queen all my life. And then down here somewhere, it's, they buried her. Queen was buried on the 19th of September. Um, it's, there's Elizabeth Burton up there. There's my neighbors when they die. Um, everything gets written on there. And then once it's full, they all get rolled up and, it, and new paper is put up and then the rolled up ones go with all the other ones that I've got up. Oh, great. So you're keeping them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to write a book. I'm yeah. This is your diary. It's, it's somehow it's going to be a diary. Nothing at all is in any kind of chronological order. I never tidy up unless you're coming here or if I've got a house inspection. <laughs> I'm not going to make a book. Yeah. If if I do, it'll be a really messy one. Yeah. yeah. It'll be re it'll be, it'll look just like this, probably. But there are things that I literally live my life by. You know, some of it's just rubbish, but that's fine. You've got to have some crap in your life. At least you've got it out of your head, and I'll do a page. It has to get out of here, otherwise yeah. I can't do anything. Yeah. It has to be fresh every day. This. <laughs> just full of marijuana and then I just go along my day <laughs> <laughs> as a drag legend you are a legend <laughs> whether you like it or not um, you've been very innovative and inventive the new generation of performers do you think they have that creativity that imagination or it's good. do you, do you get to see much of them no I don't oh right. uh, look well RuPaul you watch never never right. never um uh, RuPaul's giving us a bunch of capital C's, I'm sorry, yeah. but that's not dragged to me. Sure, there's always been vitriolic dialogue with between the queens, you know, um, half of it's brilliant, half of it's just nasty, 
But when it comes to RuPaul, it's it's just this, I'll step on your head, I'll step on your head. It's it's total disregard for everybody else. But your yeah, question... There's no, no collegiality. Oh, there's my a, God. It's a fight to the death. Awful. Yeah. It's really awful. It's like gladiators. Yeah. And I'm sure none of those people were ever like that, yeah. really, before they got there. But it's reality TV. It's manipulated. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. But it's a really good question that you ask because I know for a fact that they're all using what they've got, just like I did back then. They're using what they've got today, and it's their phones. And, excuse me, they Google how to do their makeup. Um, and, and they get very good at it very quickly. So they've all got flawless faces. Um, there's a sea of that. So it's not that special to me. Someone would have done that in the 80s, I'd have gone, my God, you're my queen now. But now it's it's a bit like pop music. If you'd have heard some of this pop music in the 80s, you'd go, that's the best thing I've ever heard. But really, it's just a load of the BS. same. Yeah, BS, you could say that. I really don't want to put anybody down here. But I know that they're using what they've got, just like I did. But there's something really cold about it. I find it really cold. When I think and compare back to the people that were, and there was many more than just people that I looked up to, there was many other people. Everybody was complete individuals, completely individual. From Legs Galore to Cindy Pastel, 3D, Pat Gently, uh, Theresa Green, Michael Matu, Krista Bonifant, all these ama amazing people Sarah Pax, oh my God, what a pocket rocket. She just used to go, oh, everybody, Mitzi McIntosh, one of the hardest working people ever, um, doing all that sewing and, and, and costuming and measuring and still doing the shows too. We loved working at the same time. Scary Fairies loved working at the same time as, as Mitzi and, and Legs because um, it was really healthy competition. I don't know what it's like out there now, but I'm not getting any light and shade. I'm not getting any contrast at all. I actually did see someone recently doing, doing a bit of a ballad, and her lip sync wasn't bad, it was at Polly's Follies. And I actually thought, well, at least they're doing ballads, at least someone's doing a ballad. Um, they do all those death drops and all that, that really horrible, harsh, dancing, that pathetic tweaking, that everything has to be sexy, otherwise it's not popular, unless you're a comedian. They will laugh at you even if you're not a comedian though. That's mm. pointing and laughing, that's what they, they, they are really good at. I don't get any contrast and I, I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad I'm my age now. I, I, I'm so glad I'm not their age now because I don't like what I see I wouldn't have become a drag queen could you have done a death drop never <laughs> but aren't they the most vulgar oh, they've lost their impact haven't they because every man and oh, the they're so gross and then there's people tweaking uh, twerking and tweaking a lot of tweak and twerk. <laughs> sometimes they tweak where they twerk <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the most gross thing you know get it in get it in get it in it's like oh my god is it just sex yeah is it just sex and, and i know you, you spend stacks of money on your costumes so it's sex and money and beauty that the most thin it, um, characteristics one could ever have really I mean God how beautiful it would be to be born beautiful and how easy would it be to be born with money and 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 you know wouldn't we all love not to have to worry about finding a sex partner because they're all over us anyway mm. you know uh, there's no depth I find it really veneer thin the spectrum of gender has really opened up, or we've been sure more has. That, and that's offering very interesting takes on, on it, trade. It is. Um, they are very interesting, and I haven't even gone through the all the all the. Um, and I've always said all my life about a spectrum in just about anything you talk about. 
um, I've, I've often said, show me the, the boy that is 100% boy and show me the girl who is 100% girl. I bet you any money you can't find them. I've said that for a long time. Yeah. Not knowing what was coming. Like, I didn't know what was coming. I'm 61 tomorrow. <laughs> and, and I haven't quite got this new language yet. And I'm, I, I'm embarrassed. Um, You're talking about pronouns? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just all the... All of the new... It's not just words. It's, it's about not being frightened to talk where I'm still frightened to talk about it I, I love that people are getting their uniqueness elevated I love that but if if I I, I am the, the kind of person that will make a mistake talking to someone um, I recently did a, a it's not so recent but a, a fashion shoot with a uh, a lot of interesting people on the spectrum. They're very lovely people, but I kept making. Is that fear of offending someone? I, of course, yeah. that's what it is. It's, yeah. I'm terrified of, of upsetting someone, yeah. but you know, so, uh, one of the other people would come gently in my ear and go, "I think he prefers he," and I go, "Oh, okay, oh, sure, okay," and then. And then I'm feeling further away and further away because I'm so nervous to say the wrong thing. I'm often one of those people who just say love. Thank God for that word. Darling, but, mate. Darling, I say that a lot too. <laughs> oh, careful with mate and careful with... <laughs> one person I know doesn't like champ. So, okay, I'm not going to buddy up on you. I'm just, I'm just going to say hey. Because... And, and also sometimes I just I, I just know it's going to come up as a problem, not just with me, but in the world. When we're remembering things, we have to cut out so much before we say it now. Self-edit. Yes. And so it's actually more about forgetting things than remembering things. And we're going to have big holes in our memory. And I'm really frightened about that. And I'm... I think that's going to send a lot of people insane. Um, and yet, at the same time, I know we must. But there's going to be consequences about us cutting out our past and not being able to say it. Yeah. I love what they're doing in lots of countries. They're ripping down those horrible statues and they're putting up better statues that represent everybody. Oh my God, I love all that stuff. All I've ever wanted was peace in this world. Serious. But I can see, I can foresee a sickness, a mental sickness coming for the people who can't quite get the language right. Not for lack of wanting to, just old heads, old, old dogs learning new words. Uh, having an appreciation of our history, because from our history we learn. Well, uh, as Not I always cancelling our history. Th th that's oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, but we were also under one umbrella, and it didn't matter to me who anybody was. Also, those people themselves didn't even think that this was possible, yeah. and so nobody said anything to a lot of people. It's so sad that, just that is so sad. Because even with good friends that would protect them, they couldn't even express themselves. You know, that's just so sad. Yeah. And you've seen, we've seen the difference between people who uh, start a transition from when they're young, then who've never started a transition until they're really old. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, humiliation to a lot of people, and it's just about. It's just this time. We just we all have to get through this time. It'll it'll calm down. Every not everybody will ever be happy with it. But um, I'm, a, I'm a gay man. I, I understand what that feels like. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it's so <laughs> so it's kind of a, a very strange and yet a gay man of a certain age. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But there's definitely um, it's definitely changing and for the better. Uh, for the better for the future, I hope.
personally, I'd never bring a child into this world because I don't know what's going to yeah. happen with it. Where we're heading. Yeah. Stryker, we're having this conversation in lovely Perth, where yeah. you reside. Were you born in Perth? No, I was born in Stockton. In um, the UK. In the UK. Um, Stockton on Tees. Um, came out when I was... Uh, that, that was in 1961. Uh, we emigrated to Australia in 1969. And then for years, we just bounced back and forward. Back and forward. So the culture shock, the culture shock, the culture shock. Schooling was dreadful. Um, turning up in England in in, in Australian hideous uniform for school or turning up to Australia to start school in Oxford bags, beetle crushes and a Fred Perry jumper <laughs> and just getting gigged the entire time. Like, oh, here we have a new student. His name is Mark Pitcher. Please say hello to Mark Pitcher. And they just crack up. Brilliant. Why back and forth was, was uh, your parents working? Mum was very, very homesick. Right. Her mum was getting much older. That's my mama. Um, we just did this all the time, back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. It wasn't that good for us, but we still got to see our fabulous English family, which is massive. Um, you know, but we're all here now. Mum and Dad are gone now. Um, yeah, I, 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 as much as I love England, as much as I love the smell of the mud in England, I'd never ever lived there again. Um, I'm just too used to this, yeah. you know. And you've got siblings here? I've got, between my nieces and nephews and my great nieces and nephews, there's about 50. Great. And they're all amazing and, and they're all stunning and I know everybody says this about their families, but their kids are absolutely gorgeous, like amazing kids. Well, any look like following your Uncle Stryker's showbiz footsteps? Um, Weird. I've got a sister, a, a, a sister whose daughter is making some of the most incredible costumes for her kids at like dress up day. They're amazing. Uh, one was just she was um, Maddie was like sitting there cross legged on this table, but she was actually walking around do, doing this meditation thing. I thought that was really really cool. Um, but they're all having a go. They're all really creative um, family, and if they're not really creative with actually anything. I come from a very funny family. We uh, we love each other dearly, and um, and we make each other laugh, and we've always done that. <laughs> uh, performing as a child, were you involved in yep. school shows? And... I, uh, yeah, a couple of school shows. I remember being a page boy in, in the Empress Nightingale. Um, <laughs> talk about um, cultural misappropriation. We're, we we all had. <laughs> Chinese eyes drawn on. We had stockings made into plaits. We're all holding our hands like in prayer like this, everything we did. Um, but I used to do shows for my family. Yeah. I'd say, I'm going to do it. I've got, a, I've got something to show you. And then they'd all have to sit there and I'd open the curtains and I'd go outside and I'd say, turn it up, turn it up. And it might be Cockney Rebel. Um, what was that song? Come up and see me. Yeah. And I'd get out there and I'd and I'd, and I'd be like, <laughs> like fucking um, Shirley Temple. I wouldn't be in drag. I wouldn't even be dressed up. But I'd be doing all, all the moves that Shirley Temple had <laughs> My sisters and I used to do, Scot when Scottish dancing was on TV, great chance to put on a dress uh, or a skirt. And so we'd, do, we'd get my mum's knitting needles and we'd do Scottish dancing and things like this. I remember one time though, getting this great idea, saying, hang on, hang on, and I raced up and I knew where all my mum's scarves were. She had to draw four of them. So I undressed to my um, underwear. <laughs> You're not gonna do celibate. I did! <laughs> I put the scarves right th all through, through the under... It went really big, it was like, oh! <laughs> and then I went down, and I'm doing this in front of my dad, and and I was being as sexy as I can remember. People on, um, like maybe, um, um, uh, what is it, what's those British? A carry on? Yeah. Like that have a woman like Barbara Windsor. <laughs> Bobby Barbara Windsor. <laughs> and my dad's like, get this kid upstairs and get his pants back on quickly. <laughs> but that was me. I was always 
doing something like that. Um, kind of, kind of been born weirdly. Did you have an obsession with makeup then? Were you asking mum, could you put on a lipstick? And... No, I could. I used to smell it. Right. I lick it. I put it on. I rub it off. That was too risky. So I'd get my sister's dolls and a biro, and I'd go hell for leather and and just really like kiss makeup but it, it wasn't for, it wasn't about kiss it was way before kiss but it was really black or blue makeup on my sister's dolls and then you know getting in trouble for that and stuff like that so I've always I've always loved looking at women with heaps of makeup on stacks of makeup on when punk rock came it was like oh, amazing this is like drag punk rock <laughs> Just going for it, just going for it. In fact, I thought drag was really punk rock anyway when I first saw my first close-up person with uh, glitter on his lips. That was Candy Conrad, the amazing Candy Conrad. God, can you imagine, before HIV, if those people hadn't died? Yes, the, the artistic world. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, so many amazing people. That must have been a... An awful time as a, as a gay man and as a performer on the scene. I was one of the first people I knew to get HIV. Right. I've had HIV so long. Right. Way longer than I haven't. I actually love it now. Right. I'm saying this a lot. I love it now. I started smelling the roses and the coffee. Did you go through a period of survivor's guilt? As we oh, yeah, people? yeah, yeah. Everybody did. Everybody did. Yeah. Everybody did. It was, that was partly why people were going to see a lot of shrinks. Because they weren't coping, they didn't. They thought it was cheating to cope. They thought it was like some kind of ticket out of jail. Or, or a lot of people became hypochondriacs because they just didn't want to go. Actually, I feel, I feel fine. I actually feel fine. I'm so sorry. I feel healthy. Yeah. You know. But you know, I heard hear stories. You know, that what was. Sydney Pastel talks about you know being on a mic and drag performers being the like the Andrew sisters the the people who would buoy up the uh, the community. That's exactly what it was uh, like to help them because you know you're attending four, five, six, seven funerals a week. You'd go past. You'd go. You'd be going to see one to, to you know pay your respect to, to one friend at a certain church, and you'd walk past another church and you'd see. Well, we everybody knew each other then anyway. But you'd see a whole lot of people and you'd go, who's this, who's this? And then they'd tell you and you'd go, what? So you'd be going to another funeral, just being told that someone else had died and you've just passed that funeral. You can't even go there because you've, you've got to do this. And there was other people coming from different directions that that was happening to. It was really awful. It was really frightening. Um, I was told in Perth when I had it, and uh, I was, uh, um, people have said it can't possibly be because HIV wasn't around then. But I always thought it was when I was 21, because I always said it was my key at the door. Well, welcome to the world, now you've got HIV, you know. Enjoy it for as long as it lasts. Uh, but they didn't call it uh, HIV then. AIDS wasn't even a word then, it was called. I think there was something before the word grids. Grids, yes, yes, yes. But there was another word before yeah. that. So this is the early 80s, 82, 83. Uh, I'm not very good at yeah. with dates um, or numbers full stop really, but um, it was really early. And look, I, I, there was one or two other people that I, I knew, but they, they got it and they died. Like They got it and they died and it was really frightening. Um, I remember when I moved to Sydney, and I had to sort of uh, enrol in, uh, in St. Vincent's. And uh, we were just in all these lines of really sad young men, like um, weaving our way to, to see these people. And there was nurses coming by and giving people drinks. And um, I remember just bursting into tears at one particular point and this nurse came straight up and she said, and she said to the person behind me, we're gonna come back here if you don't mind. Everybody had their heads hung, it was really miserable. And she took me into this room 
and she burst into tears and then she started apologising for doing that to me. I, nobody had any hope at that at that stage. I was just holding onto her shoulders. Like, Consoling her. I couldn't even get a word out, but it was just, just holding her, yeah. just holding her shoulders and knowing that she had to go out there at any second now and, and not have that on her face. Um, that was really... <laughs> and it was scary. It was. It reminded me of um, those horrible um, death camps, just the slow walk, thin people. Um, boy, that was a horrible time. But yes, we were like the Andrews sisters in lots of ways. Um, in fact, uh, look, Sydney's always had an amazing sense of humour. Amazing, and you can tell that just by looking in the shop windows at their window displays. Best way to see Sydney's humour. Or backstage at the Aubrey. <laughs> but sorry, I just went right off track then. Uh, uh, yes, uh, everybody laughed at, at the jokes, everybody loved the shows, everybody went out, they, they didn't stay home, they went out, they kept going out. It was, it was kind of a must. So there was lots and lots of comedy shows. Um, I probably wasn't quite as heavy in, in my song choices as I am now. Um, I probably do a bit more jazz, you know. Um, we raised money. We got, um, I can't even fathom how much all the way around Australia, let alone the world, how much money drag queens raised for whole wards in hospitals. Ward 10 here was bought by drag queens in Perth. And you can even smoke up there. <laughs> um, a lot was done by drag queens. It was, it's something we should be really, really proud of actually. Yeah. Um, we, we don't actually, there's a lot of people who did a lot of work. You know who, you know who really fixed things? It was the government. It was the whores, it was the, well we called it the gay scene then, but the LGBTIQ plus, and drug addicts. They're the ones who started fixing this problem. Asking for needles and... Condoms. Condoms, and they were the ones who were getting the most affected as well. Like, um, it was those people that started getting that better because just like every every other country, Australian government just lifted their hands up. They didn't know what to do. Mm. I'm, I'm hoping it wasn't a fact that maybe we can get rid of a whole lot of them. We could just take our time here. Or whether they were just, I don't know. I honestly don't know. What a horrible, yeah, that's a horrid thought, but, but you do. That has certainly crossed my mind with the Reaganism and yeah. what was happening in the States. Well, it's kind of scares me about being in groups as well. It's, it's, um, there's a good opportunity right there, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just it freaks me out, just being in a big crowd. Homophobia certainly still exists. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I'm from England. Yeah. I can spot it a mile off. Yeah. yeah, it's a dreadful thing. And still a lot of it is caused through fear of fear. being sprung. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Let's go back to happy talk. Yes, please. <laughs> God, that went low, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but really important. You know? Absolutely that's important. That's one of the reasons I do these Vital. conversations, you know, that the generation today can be aware of what has gone before. Yeah. Finding your, your drag persona uh, that was moving from uh, Cambolda on the golf fields. Oh, my God, where'd you get that from? Yeah, I did. I moved to Cambolda when it was nine years old when we moved to Hideous little town. It still is a hideous little what, town. What a juxtaposition to the UK. It, oh, it's, it was a well, it must total be like culture being shock. On the moon. It was horrible. It was horrible. There was no fashion as such. That was horrible. That was just heartbreaking. A couple of good tracks on the radio, but apart from that, <laughs> just wasn't, just, it was just so weird. But uh, of course, I just, I have to get away from all of that stuff. I moved to Kalgoorlie from Cambodia. That was interesting. I didn't realise the whole paying rent thing. But I had to get out of that too. I 
I just had to go at that. And if I and I used to have to go to Sydney on on, on the bus a lot. That must have been a three or four day. Uh, four days. Yeah. Oh God, be happy. It was like seventy five dollars. Um. But every time we'd go through Cambodia or Kalgoorlie, I'd stay on the bus. Everybody would get off and get themselves some trees. I'd just stay on the bus. No way. I was sitting foot on Hennon Street or in, or back in Cambodia. What a hideous little place. I'm so sorry to everybody who lives there. My sister still lives there. <laughs> oh, wow. But you arrived in Perth and discovered, found your drag persona. Was that a, a talent quest or...? When was the first time? No, I did a talent quest a bit later on. I did I did a talent quest at the Aubrey. I did a bit of a... Um, I needed some money. <laughs> and I won $1,000. And uh, I shared it with someone who I was staying with, which was uh, Carlotta Ross, actually, uh, who has just passed. Um, but, yeah, we, had, we got 500 bucks each for that. And a picture in the, I got my picture in the paper, which I thought was great. <laughs> You'd found fame. Well, I did a. I, I actually won that with a, a very slow number, and it's a very black number. Like, I love doing uh, soul and R&B. I love all that, and I adore, you know, beautiful black voices. Yeah. Tell me about Audrey Woodstock Rose, who you met, who was an established performer in Perth. Was, like, the establisher... Yeah in Perth, really, like Adrian, that's his name, Adrian, um, was one of those people, just like Pat Gently, just like Mitchie McIntosh, and 3D, I've got to say, because 3D does an awful lot of, of the hard work, the hard slog too, um, was actually making it possible for people to be drag queens. But like me, it was interested in lots of the Asian theatre, the, the No and the... Um, kabuki. De- definitely Kabuki. And then later on, Buto, which is um, probably the, the one that remains in, a, in, in, in part of me now. Um, so Audrey was uh, this incredibly knowledgeable person who just made things happen, could make a show out of anything. Um, Later on, he told me I wasn't allowed to call him my guru, so I thought, okay, I won't. But I always mention the word guru in the same sentence. Um, he was amazing. He he taught me a mentor. Absolutely, yeah. he taught me about um, a lot more than I already knew about Lindsay Camp. You know what I mean? And um, people like that. And Ord and, uh, and I used to get up to some crazy things at three o'clock in the morning, and it was all in the name of theatre. Um, their house also, Adrian and Martin, Martin being the husband, um, their house was Drag Central in, in North Perth, Northbridge, and anybody who was a drag queen either lived or stayed or... Dropped in. Just dropped in saying, I'm here for three days, is that all right? I never even used to ring them and tell them I was coming back. But I was always from Perth to Sydney, Perth to Sydney, Perth to Sydney, much like England to Australia. Yeah. And I've always... I've loved that both sides of the country thing. And in fact, later on in the last 10 years, uh, my collaborator Ash Baroque and I have made a real bridge between Sydney and Perth now. So that's just been wonderful. We've been having a lot of the alternative crew from Sydney, the Betty Grumbles and the, oh, amazing, beautiful girl. And so her, her last show is, she's still doing it, Unbelievable. Enemies of grooviness eat shit. That's how to put on a show. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. But like, you know, uh, we don't hold back here either. We have a a very strong alternative scene here. I'm very proud of, in fact, all of Perth drag queens, whether it's alternative or not. Everybody works really hard here. They get right into what they're doing here. They're the best lip syncers. Um, it's, it's a good place to be in Perth you, you actually get to hear about everywhere else and actually also no matter what's happening in Sydney is also you can be rest assured it's happening in Perth too yeah. it's like this um, it's, 
do they call it a communal zeitgeist or something? Is that the word? I'm not sure what that is. But it, it, humans ex, ex, experiencing these same ideas at the same time in different places. Yeah, yeah. Perth's always like that. Look, I'm, so, I'm sure as a boy in Stockton on Tees, you never ever dreamt that you would win a British Academy of Film and Television Award, a BAFTA. I didn't even know what one was. <laughs> I didn't even know what one was. When when they told me that I'd actually won it on the phone, I said, what's that? Did you know you were nominated? No. Right. Um, and they said, it's like a British Academy Award. <laughs> well, that, that made me get excited. That made me get excited. An award, of course, for Best Makeup Design on Priscilla Queen in the Desert, the film. That's right. Yeah. And my name's first, too. Uh, you can't see because it's so dirty. It's sitting on the table here. It's a, a thing of beauty. Can you see the bend in the neck where it got thrown? <laughs> it got hurled one night. Did you hurl it at somebody or something? I Never, never at somebody, no. Mm. Um, but ever, in, I used to drink a lot in those days and uh, I used to, used to get, have fits of rage about things. And I, was, I, I used to have this beautiful cat. It was pastel on my, my cat, Missy. But I'd put her out and say, there you go, love. Shut the door. And then I'd just go crazy. And that, I found that bent one. I, I tried to bend it back, but <laughs> it's too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the gig on Priscilla come about? Um, that was because, actually, Tim Chappell had something to do with that. Who was um, the costume designer? Yeah, yeah. Who also used to work at the Aubrey right. at the same time. And uh, they'd said to him, um, something like, "Who's the best makeup artist we should use?" And he'd put my name forward. And um, Nanette Seekstone told me about that that it had been put forward. And I thought, "Oh, how cool!" And I rang them. And a guy called Al Clark, such a nice man. He's one of the producers, uh, he said, come on down, we'll have a, a little talk. So I went to Paddington, and I, I was having a little talk, and he said, Stefan's not here yet. The director. The director. He said, so how about you show me your, your resume? And I went, what? And I said, I don't have anything like that. I don't have anything like that. And he went, oh, well, you know, we, we can't just put anybody in it. I said, I'm the best makeup artist in this town. I said, you could seriously go out there and ask someone that you know would visit the, the Aubrey and ask them who the best in town is. I said, and they'll tell you, me. And he said, really? And I said, absolutely, 100%. I could see then. I can't, I can't see now. <laughs> but I could see then. And I put the blend in the drag makeup. Before that, there wasn't blend. Transsexuals had blend because they used to do TV makeup, which is very different. It's just as beautiful, but uh, in fact, even more beautiful in, in any light. But drag queens were just doing like straight lines and um, you know dots and you know, all kinds of things. But I, I put the blend in. I used to, I used to love doing Polly's makeup because I did lots of people's makeup. Pastels I can do in the dark with my left hand. I love her face, um, but I'd occasionally do Polly, and I remember one time she looked so fucking amazing, like seriously, so amazing. I'd loaned her one of my short wigs, I used to wear really short wigs, and I'd loaned her one of those. <laughs> she actually did look like Linda Evangelista, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Wow. So, and I'm not kidding, but years later I've worked at Stonewall, and I, she'd done it before, but this time I thought, oh, she's going to do it again, she's going to do it again. And she, she's up there, and she's, and I'm behind her, and she's telling everyone, Striker did my makeup one time, and he made me look like, and I'm miming her by now, Linda Evangelista. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd's going, yay, because they're looking at me just knowing exactly what Polly's going to say. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, I did a lot of people's makeup. I used to do Nanette's makeup. Was that all you just learned through experimentation or yeah. were you studying art or visual I never studied or? anything. I've never studied anything, especially at school. But I never went on further education. I never I never learned makeup from anybody. I just you put it on and it looks dreadful. So you wonder why. So you try and fix it. 
try and fix it. You see someone who's got a real handle on, a, on an eyebrow. So you, you, you use that yourself. You start, and it's like, oh, okay, 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 okay. And then, then you start going further and much further and then really experimental and then people just go fucking, he can do anything. There's some really good makeup artists out there. I was one of them. I'm not so much anymore. <laughs> it's very expensive too, a good makeup kit, is it? Uh, yeah, and unless you've, I mean, it's always going to be expensive. Um, over the last 10 years working with Ash, we actually have a, um, a palette. We don't use all those colours like other drag queens. Right. It, we're very unique at the moment because it's, it's not really what we do, it's what we don't do. Yeah. We don't use primary colours. Very rarely secondary colours. We use things that are yellowed and dirty, the same colours in some of, the, some of them paintings. Yeah. Um, we like that yellowed, olden, screwed up look. We don't like, we, we don't need to carry, Ash is a makeup artist, he's a brilliant makeup artist and he does all kinds of people for all kinds of things. He's amazing. And so he's got he's got a, he's got a room full of makeup. But when we do our things, it's black, maybe a bit of brown, maybe a bit of strange yellow. That's kind of about it. Yeah. And maybe a bit of grey. We have we keep it right, pair it right down. A bit like a sepia movie, in a way. It's it's got to be old. We we love what's in the in between of everything. And, and so um, we, we, we um, inhabit a very strange area in drag. And wherever drag's going, you know, they're all got their lace front wigs down that way and they've all got their certain height shoes going that way. And, this, and we just seriously weave, we're like woodworm. We'll just weave all the way through without touching any of it. It's about what you don't do. Yeah. What gives, especially what's what's given us our um, our feel, and and a costume. A costume must hum. That's right. That was a, a beautiful quote I read of yours. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm right into costumes. Yeah, and I you make your own. Design yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't use the sewing machine. I probably could. I don't want to. I I can't drive a car. I probably could, but I don't want to. Um, I don't like those machines, and um, so I do everything is hand sewn, um, glued, stapled, you name it. But it's also from, it's made of things from other things. Uh, I have a very green attitude towards, towards costumes, not just buying a whole stack of plastic and making a guy be crinoline or something like that. I'm not into that. I'm not into bling whatsoever. Um, it's all part of the. It's all part of the, uh, the the tones that we that we're loving at the moment. I keep saying we because I, I rarely do anything alone these days. For the last ten years, I've been cared for so um, loyally by Ash Baroque. He makes everything possible for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done anything in the last ten years. Um, but he accommodates. He makes sure that I can do these things. Well, he's obviously a wise man, recognising... As soon as I met him, and he was a lot younger then, that kid understood everything I was talking about, and for the first time ever. So you're passing on your knowledge too, I guess. We have that, we have that um, relationship, yeah. He also brings an awful lot to the table himself. Like, but um, he really he loves my stories about wonderful people like Elizabeth Burton and... Michael Mitchell and Cindy Pastel and all these people. He's a real Cindy Pastel freak too. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Striker, this has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been lovely to meet you. Um, and happy birthday for tomorrow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And th just before we finish, I've just got to do one more thing. Yeah. Uh, which is... Excuse me, just one second. Just moving inside. Um, they lasted longer than I thought they would.
Your incense is being burning incense. He's going outside. No, it's birds. Oh, birds. I can turn them off now. <laughs> it's just all the subtle, it's the subtle things. Everything about you has a sense of theatre. <laughs> He's had a little speaker playing near the, the balcony door. A recording of birds. Yeah. I thought, what a lovely sort of forest you've got out there. It's, it, it, sounds like a, it sounds like a lovely summer day and all kinds of birds. They're all actually New South Wales birds, by the way. <laughs> you've brought them home with you. Oh, now leave it on because I'll, I'll, I'll stress otherwise. <laughs> it did, it, it sounded nice, didn't it? I had it on really loud yesterday. I thought, no, so I put it back in audacity and I, I, I quietened it all so it didn't seem... It, so it wasn't going to affect the microphone. No, beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Stryker Meyer. Thank you, I've loved it. <laughs> Having seen Stryker Meyer perform several times, it was a thrill to meet the man behind the persona. Such a candid and reflective conversation, allowing us to ponder a time now gone. And also an artist who has contributed immensely to performance art around the globe. Thank you, Stryker, for the chat and for the cuppa. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. And don't forget, you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe. And I'll catch you next time on Stages. Thank you.